Father God, we come to you today uh, humbled by your work that you do in our lives. And Father God, over these last few weeks, um, you've done amazing things, and I believe you're going to continue that today. We come to you today uh, humbled, grateful, thankful for uh, all that you're doing in our lives and in the life of this church and the life of this community. God, a community that is 10% or less churched, we've got a great opportunity. And God, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this place. That you would fill us up, that you would guide us into truth, into knowledge, into an understanding of your word. And God, I pray that you would be our guide. God, I pray that we would seek you out when we're in trouble, that we would seek you out when we're lost. And God, I pray today, as many have written in the past, a fresh wind from your Holy Spirit to be breathed in this place in the life of the believers. And God, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified. And God, that you would be honored and happy with everything that takes place in here. And God, I pray this in your strong, the strong name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen, amen. We kind of round the corner and come to this last in our, in our series called Unleashed. You know, it's interesting talking about the Holy Spirit. Not too many churches will do a whole series today on the work of the Holy Spirit. But I, I got to tell you, for, for me, um, it, it's been very eye-opening. And I hope it has been for you. I hope it's been uh, something that you've learned something new. But um, just beyond that, that you've experienced something new from the spirit of the living God. And I hope that you have come to understand that when you and I are in a place of humility and when we're in a place where we're on our knees, when we're in a place where we seek the spirit of the living God out, he can do amazing things in our lives. This is the power of the divine working in you and me. And we come along and we have such a great opportunity to either hear from God's Holy Spirit and ignore it or to hear from God's Holy Spirit and to follow right along, to dig in, to, to walk step by step with what he is asking us to do. And for some of you, your spiritual condition, your spiritual lives, your, uh, you know, your time with your family, your uh, careers, your um, interaction with other people are going to be determined by how attentive and responsive you are to God's Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to be honest for a moment. I had a whole different message series planned a week ago. <laughs> and uh, there, there aren't too many times that God takes me out back by the woodshed and shows me, no, man, you're going in the wrong direction. But that happened this week. And I love it when that happens. And you're going to have to excuse me if I get a bit emotional today. Um, I believe that God's got bigger plans. I believe that his Holy Spirit has bigger plans for this church. I believe he has a greater thing for each one of you who are a part of this church. Or, or maybe a part of your church back home, probably in Kentucky or Ohio. <laughs> or Atlanta. We're getting that a lot too. I love it. I'm an Atlanta kid. I believe that God's got so much more for you to do 
in his kingdom. And that's where I was going to go today. And over the course of this week, beginning on Monday morning, he began to change that. And I want to let you know that before we are about the work of God, you and I need to be consecrated by the Spirit of God. We are his people, and we need to be humbled with open arms, ready to do everything that he tells us to do, even if we may um, not like it, <laughs> even if it may cause us to become incredibly uncomfortable. So we're going to walk through this today, and uh, at the end, we're going to have a time where you and I can really do some serious talking to God. Some serious business with God, as my pastor growing up used to say. We're going to find out where God wants to change each one of us. And so I'm going to ask you to turn, if you have your Bibles, to Romans 8, 23. We're going to start there this morning. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. We're going to walk through mainly three or four different passages today. Romans 3, 23, John 16, 7 and 8, Acts 2, 38 through 51, and then Psalm 51. And we're going to be looking at different parts of all of Psalm 51. And i got to tell you, if you look back through the Bible, there, there are times and there are moments when um, God's men and God's women, his people, um, really get a, a fresh understanding of the Spirit of God in their lives and the work of God in their lives. But I think it begins with you and I realizing this first point. It's so vital for us to realize that. And some of you have heard me say this before. Some of you are probably sick of it. But, you know, it is so vitally important that we understand, and this is point number one, that each one of us is flawed by the problem of sin. That each one of us is flawed by the problem of sin. Most of you know the story of God and man. Some of you may not, and that's fine. I'm glad you're here today. God um, created this world, and he created you and I. He created mankind with the ability to make choices for ourselves. He created us with a free will. And God allowed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to make a choice whether or not they were going to follow him. And as you know, um, they took a bite of the apple. They listened to the serpent. And once they sinned, once they um, violated God's will, once they violated his rules... Everything changed. And you and I are paying the consequences today. You and I are still dealing with the results of that act all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, at the beginning of, of human time. And, and as a result, what it means is, is that each one of us is born with sin in our lives. Now, um, obviously, we don't sin when we're, when we're infants, although some of you who have infants are like, yeah, that's really true. I they really believe that. But um, we don't sin as infants. But as soon as we have the opportunity, each one of us make choices that God's word establishes that we're supposed to do the opposite of. And Romans, Paul and Romans simply says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the definition for there for sin is literally, it literally means to miss the mark. It would have been this picture of an archer with a bow and arrow and a target out there, and he would have fallen short of that mark. And here's why God establishes the fact that you and I, um, he created us in his image and that you and I are created to be like him. And so his goal is for you and I to be as good as him, to be as righteous as him, but sin entered the world, and um, we just can't possibly do that, right? 
We can't possibly live up to that standard. The moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, um, we lost that. And so the consequences of sin, not just the definition of sin, but the consequences of sin, therefore, are a broken relationship with God. And I believe that that's a foundational, just a short moment uh, talking about sin for us to understand this foundational element of sin because God's Holy Spirit plays a role in this. Point number two, God's Holy Spirit leads us to conviction of our sin. And I want to read John 16, 7 through 8. You can follow along. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus says, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We, we talked about that verse in week one. And we talked about the fact that Jesus was preparing his disciples for this helper, this counselor, this comforter. And we've talked about those uh, key aspects, those key roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That he counsels us, that he leads us and he guides us as much as we are willing to follow him. But he also comforts us. And I had this thought. I had this thought. When it concerns our um, inability to live up to the perfection standard that God set up, um, the Holy Spirit really does a work of comfort in our lives when he convicts us of sin, when he reminds us that sin was taken away on the cross, when Jesus died on that cross. Because there's tremendous comfort, isn't there, when you're going through something that you know is not God's best, and you confess that, you release that, and you allow God's Holy Spirit to convict you, and then you repent from that. We'll talk about those words in a moment. There is a sense of comfort, and so counsel and comfort and conviction of God's Holy Spirit, really there's like this red line that really connects them in a very unusual and divine way. And so Jesus says here that I'm going to send a helper, a counselor, uh, someone who will advise and come alongside you. And that's God's Holy Spirit. And he says, but if I will go, I will send him to you. Check out verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, up until this point, um, the way that people dealt with sin, at least the way that people uh, who were Jewish dealt with sin, um, was through an, an animal sacrifice. And I'm not going to talk a lot, a lot about that today, um, but that was how they dealt with their sin. That was how God established it. And there was this um, whole uh, list of laws, over 600 laws, and you had to live up to each and every one. And if you broke one, you broke them all. So that, that separation from God was really apparent. And there was this huge understanding that sin and the consequences of sin was a broken relationship with God. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take away our sins. And once that happened and once the Holy Spirit came, everything changed. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And if we had time, we would go into the depths of each one of those things because each one of them has a slightly different meaning and application to our lives. But I want you to hear today that when it comes to sin, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts you and me. And I love that word convict. Some of you are like, really? You like that word? Now, I don't like it when I'm convicted of sin, and I don't really like it when you are convicted of sin, but I love the meaning of the word because it literally means to show or to reveal. You see, the law was this stark comparison that we will never measure up in any area, but God's Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us 
and shows us or reveals to us the idea that we are flawed. But he also reveals to us all the things that he has blessed us with, with like spiritual gifts, with this inheritance that we have, the spiritual inheritance that we have. And I kind of um, like to compare this to our new smartphones in today's day and age and the flashlight that we have. Don't you love the flashlight on our phones today? I mean, like, what did we do before, like, 2006 on this, right? I mean, we were always lost. We were always fumbling for our keys, right? Like, we were always ladies looking in your purse in the dark. But now you have a way to look at. Some of you have it on right now. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, Some of you have the ability now to turn this on at an instant and be able to reveal what's going on around you. I like this at night in my neighborhood, particularly when I have to go to my truck and get something out of the truck in the middle of the night because I know there are creatures and critters and uh, vermin hanging around my house because I've seen them before, and I usually will go out there barefoot. And like I like to have a light on, right, so I can see what's in front of me. And if I see something, then I'll just run back in the house like a brave soul, okay? That's what I'll do. And I'll have Cynthia go out and get it. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I grew up in Florida. I know how to deal with them. But, you know, that's what God's Holy Spirit does. He no longer compares us to the law. He reveals in our life what needs to be changed in loving, compassionate, comforting way that allows you and I to be drawn to him. And if we really take our relationship with God seriously, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, our willingness to confess that sin becomes so much easier, becomes so much more natural. Now, there are two types of conviction just generally, and I'm giving general. Some of you who are students of the Bible would be like, whoa, wait a minute, hang on. This is general, okay? Two different general types of conviction. This one, uh, really what is, uh, Jesus is speaking of is the conviction of a pre-Christian, and it reveals their need for a Savior. Listen, if you're here today, I want to let you know this. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, man, I hope you don't leave today without that. Because the Bible says that because of your sin, um, your eternity will not be with him in heaven. In fact, it talks about um, a place called hell that's unimaginably awful, unimaginably horrific. But he's calling you to come to him. And he's showing you that because of your sin, you'll never measure up. And so why not walk in the spirit of what God did by sending Jesus to die for your sins and put your trust, put your belief in him? I did it at six years old. Um, Some of you who are here today did it at a young age like that. Some of you may have just recently done it. You may be 60. You may be 86 and you've just recently accepted Jesus as your Savior. And you can know because of that decision that you are going to heaven when you die. You're going to be with God in a perfect place when you die because of what God did through Jesus. And so part of the conviction that the Holy Spirit does is he calls those of you who are here today um, who have not yet put your faith in Jesus, he's calling you, uh, he's convicting you to take that sin and seek out and he reveals your need for a savior. But there's a second part that he does, a second thing that he does, and that is, is that conviction in a Christ follower reveals the need for infinite grace. I love the fact that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world and that over and over and over again, 
he extends you and I grace. He doesn't expect us, once we become Christ followers, to live this perfect standard. That work is already done. He did that for you. But what he does is he, he calls us to live a life that's worthy and honoring to him. And each and every day, we break that, don't we? Each and every day as Christ followers, we break that. Because we get angry when someone from Ohio cuts us off on 278. And somebody from Ottawa turns left in the circle. I just can't get past that. But anyway, that's okay. I love, love you folks from Ottawa. We get angry with our spouses, with our husbands and wives. We get frustrated with our kids. We may cheat on something here or there. We may tell a lie, or perhaps we've done something that is, has many more consequences than the things I just listed. And I want you to hear this. God extends you grace every single time. And so those of you who are here today, the conviction of God's Holy Spirit in a Christ follower reveals the need for infinite grace. It's unending. It never runs out. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace never runs out. And that doesn't give us license to live exactly the way we want to live. We're new. We're his. We're his children. That's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 says. But, you know, it's our opportunity to take those times when we failed him, when we've really broken that relationship with him. And allow God's Holy Spirit to work in our lives and confess that to him. And so conviction in a pre-Christian reveals the need for a Savior. But conviction in a Christ follower reveals the need for infinite grace. Now thirdly, I want to point this out and we'll end with this today. Conviction leads us to repentance. Conviction is the revelation that we're not perfect. Conviction, the conviction of God's Holy Spirit is the specific revelation that we're not perfect in specific circumstances. But the repentance that we can have is something entirely different. The first time we see this word repentance used in Scripture is when Peter is preaching this message that um, if a lot of you grew up in, a, um, in the type of religious background that might be harsh, um, you might recognize some of this, okay? Peter was just like, in your face, and sometimes we need that, don't we? I know I do sometimes. But look at what he says. And Peter said to them, the disciples that were there in the early church, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There, right there, he describes when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they, they were, there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. I'm going to come back to repentance for a moment. We're having baptism this afternoon. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had 3,000 that were saved down there at the Atlantic Ocean at Caligny today at 3 o'clock? That'd be awesome. You know, it doesn't matter if it's 3,000 or 3 or 1. Um, God's first step of obedience for you and I, once we become Christ followers, is to be baptized. There's nothing about baptism that saves you. But if you're here today and you've never taken that step of faith to be baptized, which, by the way, it took me 21 years in my faith walk to do that. So if you're here today and you've been a Christian for a long time and you never got baptized, I want to encourage you and challenge you 
um, to just come, go to the guest service desk, see myself, see Cynthia, see someone and say, hey, I want to be there at 3 o'clock today. We had the class this last week, but I can, I can get you up to speed real quick, okay, down there at the beach. Because baptism is a symbol. It's just like a wedding ring or a team hat. It's describing to the world that you're now his. You're his and you're going to follow him. And that's what baptism is all about. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, it's the first act of obedience. And it really doesn't matter what order it came for you. Man, why not go ahead and follow in believer's baptism? My son, my eight-year-old son, Sean, is being baptized today. Isn't that awesome? This is where I get emotional. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and uh, I've got to tell you, some of you who have been a part of this church for a long time and been an island kids, thank you. Thank you. You guys rock. Absolutely. Summer is our island kid director. She's right back there in the back, and she and her team are doing a great job um, raising our kids to understand what baptism is all about. Even if my son makes jokes in the class, that's okay. So Paul, or excuse me, Peter talks about repentance and being baptized, but I want to point out that the word repent literally means this. It means a change of direction. It means we are walking in one direction, and we literally make the choice. I want you to hear that. We make the choice to turn from going this direction to the opposite direction. And the repentance of God's Holy Spirit will always call us from following something that doesn't please him to something that does please him. You see, his conviction is his part, but repentance is our part. Because we can like, be convicted by God's Holy Spirit and confess that and feel sorrow. We're going to take a look at that in a moment and feel remorse for that. And we can do that over and over and over and over again. But at some point in time, if we truly are going to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm yours and I'm really serious about following you. At some point in time, we're going to be heading in that direction and say, you know what, I'm done. Right? Like, I'm done with this. And it's time for me to follow you, Jesus. David dealt with this. Um, he was a shepherd turned king. Um, he was the second king of the nation of Israel, the combined nation of Israel. When they first had a king, uh, Saul was the first king, and David was the second king. And uh, he was one day um, very comfy um, looking over Jerusalem, and off in the distance he saw someone, a woman bathing. And he decided in that moment, in this area of his life, that rather than following God, he would turn and he would follow what he wanted. And he made some horrible decisions. He had a servant bring her in, and he had relationships with her, and this isn't a marriage series, so I'm not going to go into that, but you know what happened there, okay? So he does that, and then to cover it up, he um, has Bathsheba was her name. He had Bathsheba's husband, who was in his military, sent to the front of the line and killed. And so he committed adultery and murder probably within, you know, a, a very short period of time. And David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, came under great conviction and great sorrow. And so I just want to point out a couple of those things from Psalm 51. If I'm ever in a place where I need to really examine myself and really do some like serious business with, with God, 
um, I turn to Psalm 51 because there's no greater pattern, there's no greater place for us to look at what conviction and repentance is all about. And David says this, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He says, Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. That's just a big word for sin, by the way. And my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he goes on and on and on. And you get this sense in these first six verses that he comes under great conviction by God's Holy Spirit, who, by the way, existed in that day and age, in that time. And so here's the point for you and I from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 6. Repentance requires self-examination. It's kind of like God's Holy Spirit draws us, but then we have to stop for a moment and examine our lives. Are you with me on that one? Like We play, we play a role in this. But then David also points out in his confession here to God, his remorse to God, that repentance not only um, requires self-examination, but it requires that we accept God's cleansing grace and forgiveness. And he talks about that in verses 7 through 12. He says, purge me with hyssop. It was like a bomb. And I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Listen, some of you are here today, and this is a difficult message because what this message does is it pushes you over towards guilt. God does not want you to be guilty. That is damaging, and it's dangerous, and it's destructive for your life. He wants you to walk in the fact that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that there is nothing, nothing that you can do to escape his grace and forgiveness. David says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. There's the work of the Holy Spirit in David's life. Remember, we said in week one that God's Holy Spirit has existed even before Jesus, from really the eternity of who God is. And then he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And so repentance not only um, requires that we accept God's cleansing and grace and forgiveness, but thirdly, repentance requires that we are open to God changing us. We are open to God changing us. And if you read verses 10 through 19, you can watch and read and see how David becomes open to God changing him. He's heading in one direction, and he turns around, and he does his part, and he repents, and he walks in another direction. So here's what I want you to hear today. When your conscience, when the law, whatever the law is, when perfection and religion, quote-unquote, and comparison lead you, the result will always be that you will be condemned, and you will feel judged, and you will have guilt. And those three things are so unhealthy in our spiritual lives, in our lives in general, aren't they? But I want you to hear this today. When God's Holy Spirit leads you, the result will be grace, infinite grace, mercy, forgiveness, pardon, cleansing, newness, freedom, and true, authentic, genuine, I want you to say that last word with me, 
change. Change. That's what will happen when you and I are led and when we follow God's Holy Spirit. I remember sitting in a uh, message when I was a kid growing up, and um, I began to feel that, like, incredible heartbeat in my chest when the pastor was uh, given this invitation. This was after I was saved. But he was talking about something like this today. And I remember kind of being overcome with um, some things that I had done. Um, really started feeling conviction. And somebody, one of my friends afterwards said to me, they said, you know, that's your conscience working on you. No, it's not your conscience. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, God may use your conscience to play a role in that, but it's God's Holy Spirit that leads you to that place where you repent and leads that to, your, to the place where you are convicted by your sin. And so I want to leave you with this. The work of the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, not for guilt, not for guilt, but for repentance, authentic, genuine, and lasting change in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our action. So I want to ask you the question as we close today. What part of your life, if you are really honest, what part of your life, it's different for each and every one of you, what part of your life do you need to allow God's Holy Spirit to come in and inspect, turn that light on, and to begin to convict? What area of your life do you need to this morning give up to him and just be real honest with him? Hey, here's, here's something really interesting. Um, you, you're not, you and I, we're not hiding anything from him. He knows it anyway, right? Like, he knows it anyway. So, you, like, you can't, like, cover it up enough that he's not going to see it because he's all-knowing. So what area of your life have you held on to for a long time where you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit and maybe repentance? We're going to pray, and then our worship team is going to come up, and they're going to sing, and after that, we're going to give you a few moments to just come forward and just for ask, ask for God's cleansing power. Father God, thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus right now um, that you would convict us, each and every one of us, myself included, of areas of our life um, that we may have been holding back from you. God, this isn't a strive for perfection. It's not a strive for comparison. It's not striving to um, be perfect like you are. But God, I pray that we, your people, would realize that if we're going to do a work for you, if we're going to do great things for you, that part of that, part of that, is really listening to your Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. And then having the guts to walk in repentance and really accept that change. And God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us right now. Father, that you would be our guide, that you would be our counselor, that you would be our comforter. God, that you would be the one who convicts us of sin. God, I pray that you would help us to understand the change, that lasting change that you can bring to our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray.